Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. It's January 11th. It's only been a couple of days since our last show, but we already have so much to talk about. There have been, uh, been some press conferences. There's been some announcements, kind of, sort of. And we're gonna we're gonna work our way through all of that. We're gonna be joined in a little bit by Politico and pundit and good friend of the show, Sarah Biggs. But first, we're gonna run down sort of what the big uh, news that came out of these two press conferences were. So the first press conference that we're talking about, of course, is the press conference that came on Monday. This was the press conference that had to do with affordability payments. Now, a lot of people would have expected that for a big press conference like this, there would have been some senior, uh, some of the heavy hitters, some of the senior ministers. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a hundreds of millions of dollar program. The, the overall budget for the affordability uh, initiative is upwards of, of $2 billion. So we're talking about some, some, some pretty big stacks of cash going on here. One would have thought maybe, maybe the premier would have been there. Maybe a deputy premier. It's been a while since we've seen KCB do. Maybe the finance minister, but no, we got a we got a bunch of sort of the the kids' table ministers, and things didn't go super super great. So one of the questions that came up right out of the gates was the province announced that they're building their own portal. So the provincial government is going to build a portal as of January 18th. People who are eligible for the program, and there's some pretty strict criteria for that. Kind of, will be able to go to the portal. They'll be able to swear in a stack of I don't know, boxes of Smarties or something. It's kind of vague uh, that they are eligible to receive this $100 a month payment per kid. Or if you're old, then you get it too. Um, and that's how the whole the whole thing is going to work. Now, there were a lot of people who had questions about, A, why are we building a whole, a whole portal for this? But also, B, we just saw British Columbia work collaboratively with the federal government, and they were able to turn around and get these payments out very, very quickly because they worked with the CRA or the Canada Revenue Agency. They have all of the tax information. This would make it very easy to verify who's eligible for what and when. Because some of the criteria are a little bit uh, unusual. If you're a senior citizen and you want to be eligible for the program, then you have to promise not to go to jail for more than 90 days after you've applied for the program. So if you're old, don't break the law, I guess. But it also goes from there because there's a lot of people who are like, why are we spending all of this money building this massive portal? Is there, is there something that we're missing? And the question answered particularly, let's go with gracefully. About your statement that it would take with CRA, it would take until April. Didn't BC just roll out affordability payments using CRA? So there are, are more than one way to integrate with CRA. So, for example, our, uh, our verified accounts currently allow you to integrate with CRA in order to access your tax information, for example, um, which is a very convenient way for folks if you don't already have uh, your Government of Canada online login for CRA. You could use your Alberta verified account to log in to see your tax information. But in order to access the tax records um, to integrate for an automatic uh, eligibility uh, determination, it, it, the, the amount of time it would take would push us back months, and that's simply unacceptable. So how did BC overcome that? Did you talk to them? Oh, we have been uh, looking at other jurisdictions, yes. I don't have that uh, with me right now, but happy to get back to you. 
So it's kind of weird because very clearly BC was able to turn around and they were able to work with the federal government in order to get these affordability payments or their affordability payments, at least into the hands of people that they believe needed to them quickly. Whereas the earliest the payments are going to be coming for people, you can apply as of January 18th. And it sounds like the payments are going to be coming for uh, January 31st. So there's some questions. But one of the other questions that came up had to do with the, the whole reason for the portal. And that same minister, Nate Glubish, uh, the minister of technology, he really got put on the hot seat. COVID, there was a lot of programs required to be launched in a very short period of time. Uh, with um, without the ability to to, to uh, let me let me rephrase that the, the, we had to put forward uh, a lot of programs in a very short period of time. The the good news now is that we have been working for the last two months on developing this portal. Instead of launching something overnight, we are, we have taken the time to to do the due diligence uh, to develop a safe and secure uh, system that is scalable, that can handle millions of users logging on uh, at one time. Um, that was not the case before, it is the case now. And uh, I am confident that we have the best folks on the job uh, and uh, they've been working hard uh, since November. So it's good that, that Minister Glubish is, is saying that he's confident, but his, his demeanor didn't exactly scream confidence. And there's a lot to unpack in that clip because not only did he struggle to, to answer the, the question, it's possible he didn't. It's kind of hard to tell. But secondary to that, one of the other issues that came up is that he openly admitted right there that when the provincial government launched multiple programs during COVID, so we could be talking about a lot of different things. There's been concerns raised by the Auditor General that the, the small business supports that were offered by the provincial government actually ended up going to a lot of businesses that didn't. Uh, necessarily meet the criteria for getting them and that money's just lost but we can all remember the the vaccine passport problems where the vaccine passports were issued and some of them were issued as editable pdfs we went through multiple iterations of the vaccine passports with the provincial government because they rushed things it's not the provincial government's purview to to kind of it's not their their skill set to kind of work in this area and yet they're committed to, to doing so. Now, there's been some speculation and there's been some potential answers as to why they're so committed to taking up this space. One of the biggest reasons is there's a lot of people who believe that this is going to be a, a stepping stone, if you will, to Danielle Smith's health spending account. She's gone back and forth on whether or not she was going to be initiating the health spending accounts. When she first came to office, she said, you know what? It's going to be a whole thing. There's processes. We need to have application things. It's going to, uh, we can't, we can't, we just can't do it. Sorry, guys. It's not going to happen until after the election. But we've heard her pivot in the last little while to a more, hey, maybe we will be getting the health spending accounts. Maybe, maybe there will be some money, more money coming to, to people for, for health spending accounts. She certainly mentioned it in the press conference that she had this week. We're going to get to that in just a sec. But there was one other piece that was a little bit dissonant. As I'm sure we'll hear from Sarah Biggs when she joins us in just a few minutes, one of the things about fiscal conservatism is the idea that if you're going to be fiscally conservative, you want to make sure that you're spending money effectively. You don't want to be wasting money. You certainly don't want to be throwing money. This is a concern that we heard from the UCP when the federal government rolled out CERB payments. 
So back during COVID, when the federal government uh, started to issue the CERB payments, the UCP stomped their feet up and down. They said that we shouldn't be injecting money into the economy. It was just going to drive inflation. And MLA Shane Getson went so far as to say, you know, the people who are getting this money, they're just going to hang out and watch Netflix at home, eat cheesies, and probably do drugs. That's more or less the actual quote. He said that in Hansard in the legislature. Um, it's been read into the, the, the legislature. He said that at a, at a town meeting, sorry. Um, but these are actual quotes from the UCP. They didn't want just money flooding the streets. Well, one of the questions that came up at the press conference uh, went to Minister Matt Jones. And that question was based on a comment that Daniel Smith made on her radio show. And on her radio show, what she said was, hey, you know what? If you don't need the money, you probably shouldn't take the money. Matt had a bit of a different take on things. Things the Premier has said on her radio show over the weekend is that for maybe people who aren't struggling but still qualify, by not having an automatic payment, they can not apply. Is that something you'd encourage if people are in okay shape to just not apply? I have full confidence that Albertans who don't need supports but are, but are eligible will do what, they always, what they've always always done. They're going to help their friends, their family, they're going to donate to charitable organizations, or they just won't take the payments. So Maybe they'll take the money. Maybe they'll give it to their friends. Who knows what they'll do with it? Maybe they won't take the payments. It's not a very strong message of, you know what, we want to make sure that this money gets to the people who need it the most, especially given that the the cap is $180,000 if you've got kids. So if you've got kids and you make less than $180,000, a lot of people who have one kid who have a combined income of $180,000, the $600,000, dollars over the 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 months isn't going to make a big difference for them but there's matt jones saying you know what maybe take the money maybe donate it to charity maybe turn it into a tax write-off because we certainly haven't seen examples with the smith government where they've you know i don't know maybe the premier has collected money and then maybe flipped it into a tax write-off by donating it to a charitable organization like i don't know maybe the jccf or something we certainly haven't seen an example of that but speaking of premier smith she did something a little bit unusual the very next day because on Tuesday it was late Monday. Actually, it was announced that on Tuesday she was going to be having a press conference, apparently for the sake of having a press conference. She drew the inspiration. She said from premier Klein, who used to have a good relationship with the media and Smith has certainly received a lot of criticism from a lot of people because she has been very selective about what media outlets she tends to interact with. We've seen she's got a real affinity for organizations like the, the Western standard um, who I guess count as media technically on a pure reading of it. Probably not journalism on a pure reading of it. She's also got a big affinity for True North, but when it comes to answering hard-hitting questions, doing long-form interviews with members of the the real journalistic core, we haven't seen a whole lot from uh, from Danielle Smith. So she decides she's going to have a press conference. She's going to answer some questions. And there were a lot of questions that were kind of, yeah, here, here nor there, but there were a couple that we definitely wanted to take a little bit of time to highlight. The first one has to do with all of those pediatric drugs that she ordered. So you might remember back at the beginning of December, Daniel Smith announced that she was going to be buying 500 uh, million, 5 million bottles, 5 million bottles of children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen because there was a shortage. And it's true. There were supply chain issues and there was a shortage of children's over-the-counter pain and fever medication. Important to note, in most circumstances, 
those supply chain issues have been resolved. You can go to most pharmacies now, and if it's not directly on the shelves, it's behind the pharmacist's counter. You can get a hold of children's Tylenol. You can get a hold of children's ibuprofen. But Danielle Smith announced at the beginning of December, it was a crisis. She was taking bold action. What did that bold action look like? There's a company in Turkey. Bear with us. This is going to get good. There's a company in Turkey that produces the precursor medication. So they didn't actually produce the medication that Danielle Smith wanted to buy for Alberta. But they made the they made the bits. They kind of like made the parts of the car if they didn't assemble the whole car. So Danielle Smith had worked out uh, a, a deal with these people where they would assemble the car, they'd make the medication, and they'd ship it to Alberta. Five million bottles worth. Now, obviously, very competitive environment. So Daniel Smith has been very clear. She had to pay a premium, which means she had to pay more than what would normally be market cost for these uh, medications. But she promised they'd get here before December. Got to take care of the kids. There's only 4 million people in Alberta. There's a lot less kids than 4 million. So 5 million is a, a really big number of bottles to buy. And people asked, what are you going to do with the spare stuff? She said, oh, we'll sell it to the rest of Canada. It'll be cool. Now, there's a couple of, of little, little details that needed to be worked out. My favorite detail of this whole thing is that the company that we're talking about, Atabay Pharmaceuticals, is a company that was, up until very recently, from what we can tell, run by, and I'm not making this up, Dr. Oz's mom. It's Dr. Oz's family. Dr. Oz is in Oprah, Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz is in crystals and woo medicine, Dr. Oz. It's his family that goes back as the, the originators of, of this company. So that's fun, I guess. But they also had some problems when it came to the regulations. They weren't actually licensed. They weren't approved to sell these medications in these formulations in Canada. And like I said earlier, they didn't even make these medications in the formulations and styles that Danielle Smith had said that she wanted to buy. So there's some problems. There's an approval process. And there was a question about that approval process. We're going to play the whole thing for you because it's worth it. From Health Canada that says they received proposals by Alberta for the importation of children's ibuprofen and acetaminophen for use in pharmacies and that a decision was provided to you guys in December. What exactly did that decision say? There's a couple of things that we had to do in working through with a, a new supplier. The um, Health Canada has to go through and uh, examine the manufacturer. They have to examine our import facilities. We had to make sure that the formulation was the same um, as we would sell for uh, generic products here. Uh, we had to get French and English packaging approved. And we went through all of those different steps. And so as a result, we have our first shipment arriving uh, on the weekend. It's going to be for Alberta Health Services use. It's 250,000 bottles. The remaining 4.750 bottles is uh, 4.750 million bottles are, are going to be subject to an additional uh, delay because for retail use, you have to have a childproof cap. As I understand it, we are working on making sure that that approval process is taking place, and so that'll be the second batch. And as soon as we know when the retail use is going to be available, we'll do another another uh, press release. But the, the good news is that our Alberta Health Services hospitals will have the first shipment by this weekend. Well, I'm talking specifically about pharmacies. So those are supposed to be on the shelves by Christmas, is what you guys said. They aren't on the shelves. 
So I'm just wondering, so how I understand it is that it was actually rejected, that proposal in December, and then you had to put forward a new proposal. Mm. Is that correct? No, it was just a, a process we went through. I mean, we respect Health Canada has a role in making sure that we have the safest product possible on the shelf. And the issue that they had was that we, when you make a product available for a retail use, it has to have a, a child-proof cap. So we're just working with the manufacturer to make sure that that is in place so that we can make it available for retail use. And I, look, I don't want to rush Health Canada. Certainly want to make sure that uh, people, as soon as the, the supply arrives, that they feel confident in it. It really was just a matter of us meeting the reg regulatory conditions, and that was the last condition we needed to meet. Uh, we've been working with them right from the beginning. We always knew that we would have a certain amount that would uh, that would arrive that would be for AHS use, and then we had to continue working with them to make sure that we had the bottling that met their specifications. One of the specifications was we had to make sure that it was listed in the same uh, familiar type of formulation that we have in Canada. We had to make sure French and English uh, labeling, and this last hurdle is we just have to make sure we've got the childproof cap. So it's been a process that we've been going on. It's just taken a little bit longer than we expected. But the first shipment is arriving this weekend for Alberta Health Services. Just to confirm, this is the same application that came back in December. That, I've, I've been working with this uh, on this all the way along. We have been working with Alberta Health uh, with Alberta Health or with uh, Health Canada to make sure that we were meeting all of their compliance. It's a brand new supplier. There's just a couple of hurdles that we needed to get through, and uh, we're we're almost at through the, on the last one. Now, one of the one of one of the interesting things about Daniel Smith is she's an incredibly smooth talker. She's really, really good at positioning words and phrases so that she doesn't actually commit to an answer to the question. It's very clear from the question that the, the questions that the reporter asked that that reporter knows that the application was rejected because they forgot that over-the-counter children's medications needs childproof labels. Danielle Smith just said, oh, it's a process, which is an incredibly vague way of saying things. You can drive from Calgary to Vancouver, and if you have three engine failures on the way, if somebody says, did you have engine failures on the way? Well, it was a process to get there. You're not answering the question. And this is part of what makes Danielle Smith so effective as a, as a wordsmith and as a public speaker but not necessarily as uh, an administrator or a premier. Now, there was one point in that response where she did say, no, no, it's a, it's a process. And if you look at the literal words, then it looks very much like, okay, she did say no. She said no. They were not rejected. The reporter must be mistaken. There's got to be more going on here. As we're going to establish in just a second here, one of the problems that we have is that Danielle Smith lies a lot. But the other thing that's really important to highlight here is a lot of people had a lot of concerns about these children's medications because they were being made by a company that didn't actually make those medications in those formulations. And apparently we overlooked the childproof cap thing. Not exactly instilling a boatload of confidence in the quality of the work that's being done. But the other thing that's really important to realize is as much as Daniel Smith's trying to take a victory lap over the fact that, hey, you know what, guys, we're we're sending 250,000 bottles to Alberta Health Services. It's going to be great. They're going to have so much of these bottles. None of this order has ever publicly been said that it was going to Alberta Health Services. From day one, 
the day the way that Danielle Smith has presented this entire little project has been that all of the medication was going to go to retail shelves. The leftovers she was going to sell to the rest of Canada who would buy it because who doesn't like off-brand medication that already had problems getting through the approval process when the real stuff's available again. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But let's get to the, the Danielle Smith lies a lot part of the program. Because as much as the reporter that we just highlighted there did an amazing job of holding Danielle Smith to the fire, the absolute masterclass came from a senior journalist named Graham Thompson. And Graham had some very, very specific questions. And again, it's a little bit of a longer clip than we normally play on the show, but it's just so worth it. We're going to play the whole thing for you. Um, Premier, you've said that you think that the federal government's out to basically destroy the oil and gas industry in Alberta. If, if, if that's their aim, to do that, then why are they spending more than $20 billion to expand the Trans Mountain Pipeline? Well, I'm, and I'm very hopeful that that, yeah, that gets completed. I'm, I'm glad that they did make that decision. But I, I would put that in, in perspective, that they didn't stand up for us when the Keystone XL pipeline got cancelled. They did cancel the Northern Gateway project, even though it had been approved. They put barriers in the way uh, so that Energy East pulled the plug on their um, pipeline project. And they also created a regulatory process that didn't allow the, front, the tech's frontier mine to go ahead. So I guess when I balance one project against the tens of billions of dollars that have been cancelled. That's why I, I question whether they have a commitment to making sure that our oil and natural gas workers remain uh, in a strong and vibrant industry. So the the point that I would say, I've, I've been watching over the last couple of months as well, I, mean, I guess it's over the last year, when they launched this uh, proposed emissions cap on oil and natural gas, where they want to have, propose a specific emissions cap on our industry of 42% by 2030, knowing that we're not going to be able to have the carbon trunk line built by then. We're not going to have small modular nuclear rolled out by then. So if you don't have the technological innovations in place at the time that you're, you're, you're setting for achieving your target, it's a production cap. That's the only other way that you can achieve it. And that's why I'm, I'm concerned that they keep putting forward these aggressive targets. I think they're sending a very mixed message. I think that we can achieve emissions reductions, but we have to do it over a time frame that makes sense for the investment in the industry and also the technology when it becomes available. That's what, that's what we're working with the federal government to make them understand that. All right. Now you could argue, of course, that um, Northern Gateway was a federal court that, that uh, yanked the approval for that because the previous federal government had not done enough work when it comes to First Nations consultation and looking at the environment. Um, of course, the Keystone XL pipeline, that was, that was Joe Biden. That was a federal decision in the U.S. that we had no control over. But when you first began answering your question, it sounded like you're saying you hope that Northern, sorry, you hope that Trans Mountain would go ahead. Do you have any doubts that the federal government will actually finish that project? It's, uh, I know that there have been significant uh, cost overruns on the project. And I think I've heard Krista Freeland say that she is not intending to put any more money into the project. So I'm watching with interest how they bridge that gap to get to the, the finish line on it. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we, we are able to open it up on time. But I, I do know that it had, it, because of the way it's been managed, it's had significant cost overruns. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack in that clip as well. I mean, first of all, the the just transition piece, we've talked about this on a couple of episodes running now. And as we've said, as industry experts have said, and as you'll see from industry in just a second here, there is a transition that's coming. There's no question about it. Global markets are demanding that certain levels of carbon reductions are met before money will be invested in it. There's multiple financial firms and multiple banks who have made a certain amount of carbon reduction a requirement for any sort of investment in any sort of major project. This isn't coming from the federal government. This is the federal government responding to market pressures. Now, as we also said on the show before, one of the other big factors that's really, really important to appreciate is that oil companies are getting more and more effective at using technology and automation to hit a better bottom line. A lot of the infrastructure that's required to access a lot of the oil sands has already been built. The days of somebody getting out of high school or dropping out of high school to work as a contractor to uh, make... $200,000, $250,000, $300,000 a year doing more of the the hard manual labor of building that infrastructure, those days are done. They have automated robot trucks that are driving around the oil sands now. People have become very replaceable. That means those jobs are in the process of phasing out. The major capital projects aren't going to be built if those emissions targets aren't met the just transition bill that we haven't even seen yet because it hasn't been written yet that there's all of this speculation is being presented under the auspices of saying you know what there's a boatload of people that are going to need to be retrained we're going to need to invest in that alberta we would like to help you that's the whole thing right there but daniel smith loves to misrepresent that because she needs to have an enemy of the federal in the federal government at all times. And Grant Thompson did a really great job of calling her out on a couple of the projects that she mentioned there. But we wanted to just take a sec to really go through the ones that, that she talked about, working a little bit backwards from there. So starting with Tech Mine. When Tech Mine was canceled, it certainly wasn't canceled by the federal government. It was canceled by Tech. They were very clear in their statement why they canceled it. Global capital markets are changing rapidly and investors and customers are increasingly looking for jurisdictions to have a framework in place that reconciles resource development and climate change in order to produce the cleanest possible products. This does not yet exist here today. And unfortunately, the growing debate around this issue has placed Frontier and our company squarely at the nexus of a much broader issues that need to be resolved. In that context, it is now evident that there's no constructive path forward for the project. This is Tech, the company, saying the project just ain't going to work, y'all. We can't make it work. There are really big conversations that have to happen. There are demands from the global economy. But let's talk a little bit more. You know, Daniel Smith loves to say, Justin Trudeau, that friggin' guy, you know, when when Joe Biden, when Joe Biden started talking about Keystone, Trudeau didn't do anything except, oh, wait, he did. On May 19th, 2020, Trudeau vows to press any U.S. government on Keystone after Biden threatens to rip up approvals if elected. 
So before Biden was even elected, well, Biden was still campaigning. Trudeau was saying, hey, whoa, 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 guys, we, we'd, we'd like our pipeline, please. Please don't. Let's not be rash. Now, Biden moved very, very quickly once he got into office. And one of the very first things that Trudeau did was called him to express his disappointment. Daniel Smith has said on multiple occasions, Trudeau didn't even make a phone call. Yes, he did. She's lying again. Let's take a look at some of the other projects. So Northern Gateway, what happened there? Was it the federal government? No, as Grant Thompson pointed out, it was the Federal Court of Appeals. They ruled that running that pipeline the way that they did, they failed to do the appropriate consultation with First Nations. And it's really important to realize that when we're talking about huge parts of that province, there are parts of that province that technically don't belong to Canada. They are unceded territories. There are no treaties that say that the First Nations ever handed that land over. It gets really complicated really fast. And the companies that were building the pipelines tried to ram it through without doing the appropriate consultation. And they got slapped by the courts for it. Period. Wasn't the federal government. Wasn't regulations. They didn't do their due diligence and they got slapped by the courts. But let's take a look at the, the last one. Who pulled the plug on Energy East? Oh, right. It was TransCanada themselves. Why did they pull the plug? Well, they pulled the plug because part of the formula, because of the changes that need to happen to reduce emissions, to get that uh, investment one of the changes was including downstream emissions. And as soon as you included downstream emissions, the profit margin dropped off, wasn't worth it anymore, so they backed away from it. None of the examples that Daniel Smith laid at the doorsteps of the feds were the feds' responsibility. And we could even take it a step farther because the only pipeline that is owned by the government in any of this conversation is TMX. And that's the one that the federal government bought to save. All of the other pipelines are privately owned. We've seen over and over from Daniel Smith and the UCP that they believe that there's some sort of responsibility for people for the province of Alberta to make it as easy as possible for oil companies to make as much money as possible. We saw in the news today, the whole R-Star controversy opened up again with the uh, official opposition, the NDP finally saying, hey, you know what? This R-Star program, it seems like it's kind of a scam. It could be because it is. The whole R-Star program is designed to incentivize oil companies to do the work that they're supposed to do anyways. It's giving them a bonus for doing the bare minimum. Who's bringing that program back after it was rejected already by the UCP government? Daniel Smith. At the end of the day, the reality is Danielle Smith lies a lot and she has vested interests that she panders to. And people should really start to be getting upset about this, quite frankly. Because we have a provincial leader who has a platform, who's an incredibly effective public speaker certainly more effective than Minister Glubish. 
she could be using her skills and her talents to do incredibly good things for the province. But instead, she's using her skills and her talents to get away with lying to Albertans. And as much as there's a lot of people who like to denigrate journalists and to be clear for the cheap seats, we're not journalists. We don't even get close to doing the kind of quality work that we saw from Graham Thompson and a lot of the reporters at that press conference today. That's not our jam. We don't want to. We like to make jokes and use sarcasm. But we are incredibly lucky that we have journalists like those people who showed up at that press conference and asked the hard questions and held Danielle Smith's feet to the fire when she comfortably lied to Albertans. So from all of us here at The Breakdown to all of the journalists who are doing an amazing job of reporting on all of these things, we just want to say thank you. Because Daniel Smith's going to continue to hammer on her just transition lies. She's going to continue to try to tie the NDP. There's lots to criticize the NDP for. Don't get me wrong. If you've been paying attention to the show for the last year and a half, you know we've criticized the NDP a fair amount around here too. But we also believe people should be criticized for what they're actually doing, not for what somebody else is lying about what they're doing. Daniel Smith is trying to get Rachel Notley to say that she doesn't believe that the federal government should support Alberta through this transition. Now, you could try to argue. You might you might be tempted to try to say, well, but is there really a transition coming? For the final word on this segment, we're going to turn to somebody who has been touted as an industry expert. She's a lawyer. She's been a lobbyist. She's worked in oil and gas. She was an energy minister. She was the energy minister in 2022 when she did this interview. Alberta's energy sector has traditionally been oil and gas, um, but there's been more demand for renewables uh, in this sector. So what is the Alberta government doing um, to adopt to this? Sure. Well, we do. We are. We do hold the third largest reserves in oil mm -hmm. on the planet, and uh, we have a long history of responsible resource development in oil and gas. But that gives us an advantage, and I think it's helped us be able to set a foundation for decades of success in not only the oil and gas industry, but in some of the new and emerging sources of energy as the world looks to transition and lower right. emissions. We're uh, aggressively pursuing strategies in hydrogen geothermal on critical and rare earth minerals on in helium and we are leaders we're already leaders in re emission reducing technology and things like carbon capture utilization and storage mm -hmm. so we really see ourselves as being not only the solution for uh, energy security and traditional oil and gas sector but also in renewables and alternative and emerging energy sources sonia savage the Minister of Energy at the time, talking about the importance of Alberta embracing the coming transition, talking about how Alberta could leverage the success of oil and gas into renewables, into low carbon. Everybody in the room seems to recognize that there's a transition that's going to be coming. And it's just a question of whether or not Alberta is going to have competent leadership that's going to get ahead of that curve as opposed to letting Alberta get run over. And if we're seeing anything from the messaging of Danielle Smith, it's uh, 
it's looking more and more like we're going to be looking up at the axle of a, a very big EV as it drives over our province. Got one more quick little story we want to talk about before we bring in Sarah Biggs. And this one's just fun. Todd Lowen, Minister of Forestry, Parks, and Tourism. <laughs> He's got some thoughts. Federal government, they're saying, you know what? Moraine Lake, which is a lake in Banff National Park, which means it's a federal park. Also, anecdotally, it's a federal park that predates Alberta as a province. Banff National Park has been around longer than Alberta has. Well, the federal government has some concerns about the traffic that's occurring at the uh, at the, the Moraine Lake site. And part of what they're going to be doing is limiting some access. Now, there's some people who are upset about that because, you know, but we like to watch the sunset from the lake and it's, you're going to have to carry kayaks and stuff. First of all, whatever happened to our Canadian heritage? Because that's how the entire... For, for settlers, let me be clear. But that's how the entire country of Canada was explored. People walked and carried canoes. That's that's what you did. Through the bush, no less. So it's not even like I had to carry my canoe down this beautifully manicured path. It's they carry their canoes literally through forest. But all of a sudden, that's too much work. Well, what was Mr. Lowen's solution? to this problem. And we're going to give full credit to the person who ripped the, the audio here. Uh, we're just going to play that for you. You sent out yesterday, uh, you said the Alberta government should be at the table for a discussion on this. Talking about these other options, what ideas would you bring to the table to solve this, this pickle of having 5,000 cars turned away a day? And, and like I mentioned before, I think there's an opportunity to have uh, a larger parking area there. Uh, when we look at that area, there's there's definitely opportunity for that. Um, and, and again, there might be uh, other options that are on the table too, or that uh, we could consider. But if we have if we don't have that chance to sit down and have that discussion, then then those options don't come forward. Uh, you know, and again, I understand uh, the use, and I understand uh, the number of vehicles and everything, and I understand it's it's not easy to manage, but. But again, the, the restricting of access is uh, is something that I think is 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 uh, that alarms a lot of Albertans when it comes to being able to enjoy the, the places right in their own backyard. You, you you couldn't make it up, Todd Lowen. His solution to wanting to protect the the pristine environment. He literally wants to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Like I I. I'm pretty much speechless. Let's ignore. Let's 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 completely ignore the the reality that what we're talking about is a federal park, and this this government, especially Mr. Lowen and and Miss Smith, have spent their entire time talking about, oh, you know, the feds they need to stay in their lane. People need to know what their jurisdiction is, and they need to not mess with it. And we're not going to take. We're the, the feds don't get to tell us what to do anymore. But as soon as the feds make a decision about protecting an environmentally sensitive area that's entirely within their jurisdiction jurisdiction todd lowen's response is well you know we could just pave it it's remarkable after the whole rant we wanted to to end on something a little bit fun before we brought in the indomitable incomparable live from edmondson the belly of the beast sarah biggs sarah biggs how are you doing tonight 
I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I really tried to, to sell that introduction. How is that for you? Uh, sure. Parking I'll ask lot, my husband what he thinks. We should just paint it, right? Yeah, so we can enjoy it. Do, do, do you know the last, when was the last? So when I moved here in 2006, I could drive from Lake Louise to Morin Lake, park, and go enjoy the sunset. No problem. was not busy. Last time I was in Morin Lake was eight years ago, and it was a goddamn nightmare, and I didn't want to go back. Like, it's not a matter of restricting access. It's a matter of managing access. Maybe if, you know, we would be nice with the feds and not complain too much and, you know, try to work in a collaborative matter, um, maybe we could ask for night shadows. I don't know. There's options. There's I think options. There's a... Is, is, yeah, we, I... Somebody just, in the comments, don't read the comments, but somebody in the comments raised this. No, point. I think it's probably, I'm not probably, looking at the comments. Probably a good thing that it's not Chandra who's Minister of Parks. <laughs> well, he much. can't because the, ro- the road is closed for the winter. So, uh, you know, there's that. He, he, could, he could go to the driveway. <laughs> Deborah Graham saying, do you think he'll go like, out to the lake? I understand. Like, I fully get that people are not thrilled to do the 15 kilometers hike to the lake because it's a long drive and you got to go by you know temple temple's a massive mountain and you got to go around and but it's not necessarily safe because there's you know there's a lot of grizzlies it, it is a grizzly bear natural habitat but it's all in it's all about managing expectations and managing access. If it's managed properly. So basically, they moved the parking lot right down by Highway 1. And they're going to move you to the lake. That's it. That's it. I do not understand the outrage. Let's talk you know. about... The press conferences. Do you want which way do you want to go? Do you want to do yeah. the, the the very sad Nate Globish pro- press conference first, or do you want to do the? I'm just calling uh, it the Nate Globish press conference. Or do you want to do the Daniel? I, Smith I don't want to talk about first. the. Uh, let's dive into Daniel Smith. I don't even want to talk about Globish. <laughs> I felt bad. So here's what my question is. And there were some people who raised this uh, in the commentary that we saw coming out of that press conference. Why was there like? <laughs> Was that a press conference devoid of prep or was that a press conference with prep? Because if that was a press conference with prep, yikes <laughs> on bikes. I don't, it, we should never let the premier just freelancing a press conference. We should We're not, she Lubish needs to right remain now. on screen. Oh, Klubish. Oh, Klubish. Yeah. Sorry. His, his whole, well, the CRA question and he was like, because that was, that's something oh, you've been saying for a while. CRA, that's, mm, the CRA question. So I this have is questions. Where, this is what we're here for. So, BC's announcement and Alberta's announcement were apart by four days. Minister Glubish, 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 Glubish claims that, I don't know, claims that it could have not been done until April. Okay. Uh, BC's getting up this week or next week <laughs> through the CRA. Yep. Like, I I have questions. Did they even ex? 
at some point, you got to question how honest, well, we always question how honest they are, but did they really try? Because usually CRA is pretty flexible. They're like, yep, tell us what you need. It's a bit of a process, like every single bureau could, you know, with every single deposit or measure. But, you know, CRA is able to react quite rapidly. We saw it with CERB. It was pretty fast. You know, we were getting it. Or, you know, when, you know, thousands of people every day are applying for EI, two weeks and it's out the door. That's through Service Canada. Uh, when you're, you know, when you're doing your tax return, very often you receive your no- notice of assessment right away and then you just, like, you know, pay taxes or receive taxes within like 40 and 72 hours you file your tax receipt. Why is this such a big problem? Well, is this it is the question. They like, wanted it to be a problem. Is it because they're building so infrastructure they for something the else? They, we've been saying that for a little bit now. They are prepping infrastructure. Like I was saying, she could be making a case for the Alberta Revenue Agency. Uh, we could be making a case for the $300 health spending account. Um, you know, it could be for everything. But they are creating problems. They are non-existent. I would really, really like to hear from the Minister of Revenue side in, in Ottawa and hear from the bureaucrats and the ministers and deputy ministers. What happened in the background? Why are we doing this right now? Why? Yeah. Let's use the infrastructures that are in place. Being fiscally conservative is measuring the outcomes, is measuring, is this worth? So if true fiscal conservatives would put that platform in place, would be like, okay, this will be our first run for what eventually could be an Alberta revenue agency for what could be, you know, $300 or, you know, different rebates and programs or, you know, we're going to be adding my uh, Alberta ID, linking it to, you know, a whole bunch of things all together and just build a mega platform for Albertans. If they would have come up with that, or just even the explanation, a lot of people would have been okay-ish with it. It's always the intent behind and always the secrecy that everybody... It's so sneaky. It's like, I don't know if anyone ever watched Kim's Convenience when uh, Uma is doing sneak attacks and Appa I never, I never caught it. upset. It's actually good. But... Be honest. I we're all we're asking is for honesty and transparency, and you need to be able to be you need to be able to justify your means and your cost. If you are not able to do that, and you're at the point where you are making and coming up with excuses that even you know individuals that don't necessarily understand how government works or how processes work and whatnot. Or like, hmm, this doesn't sound that kosher. You have a problem. Just let's saying. move. Let's move on to the very other, very bad press conference that we saw. What was your favorite moment <laughs> from the the Danielle Smith show on on Tuesday? 
It's fascinating. Because <laughs> I, I, just... I've been, I have been being just like <sighs> over the moon with the the job that Graham Thompson did there, saying, "But you're lying." I mean, he didn't say exactly that, but he pulled out the two examples that were like, "So you just said this yeah. is what happened. That's demonstrably not what happened." And you could see the change in Smith's demeanor. I mean, she recovered fairly well, but you could see that there was like this, "Oh, but." Uh, that's not what I wanted to have happen. I, I was expecting a, is this on topic, Becca? Is it relevant? Is it relevant, Becca? Is it relevant to, you know, <laughs> um, she needs to stay on script. They can't keep doing that. If they want to win the next election, they need to keep her on track, on script, and that's it. No freelancing. Uh, per screen questions if you have to but um at the rate that they're going they're they're doing more harm than good right now um everybody's looking at this they're like but it's like they're using trudeau for a punching so here's the thing with there's the alberta sovereignty act that is a super wet tiger paper that does nothing and that she has said she has said with her year in interview with Microsoft that she does not foresee the use of the Alberta Sovereignty Act in the near future. So are they trying to create issues so they can use the act? But it's all smoke and mirrors right now. We wasted weeks of legislative and hours of legislative time, debate, and resources to have that bill out because the way the first draft and the final draft is nowhere nowhere close to the original intent um they're spinning the trudeau not the sing alliance like no tomorrow and they're it's just there's a lot of squirrels that are being spun right now and it's it's i'm dizzy she cannot she it's either she's misinformed or her staff is not briefing her well on what the reality is, or she well, truly is of, believes that this is one you know we're just going to buy it and take it as is. I've been bumping on is that there's a lot of people who say that Danielle Smith is actually fairly switched on. I myself remain somewhat skeptical, but there's a lot of people who have worked with her who have said that she is she is fairly switched on, and it seems like there's this reoccurring pattern. Where when she gets particularly, I don't know, maybe bad advice, maybe she's got an advisor or two who have some, I don't know, more extreme views, uh, depending on the day. I mean, I, I hear that some of the advisors sometimes want to belong to one party and sometimes want to belong to another party and then they want to belong to another party again. And maybe there's this other party over here. There's just so many parties to choose from. But it, it, like how much of this do you think is Smith being Smith and how much of this is all of the little voices whispering in her ear, trying to advance some, some sort of strategy for like a, a more freer Alberta. I don't know what you'd call that. But it, is it even a strategy at this point though? No, I think That's it's just rage farming. It's, it's rage farming. It's not even strategy. It's um, how did Kellyanne Conway called it? Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Facts. You know, but it's, the, it's, it's like, 
it's like when I hear something from school, my 10 years old is giving me a different answer. And then I'm like, well, no, like this doesn't match. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are trying to further their personal agenda or part of that advisor team. Yes, of course. But do I believe that Danielle Smith truly believes what she's been saying? Also, yes, because she looks sincere when she ta- well, sincere. And please understand me here. She truly believes what she says. So she is communicating in a way that this is the truth. She believes it. She thinks she's being transparent. She thinks she's being sincere. And she thinks that she's giving the right time of day to the province. But this is doing a huge disservice to Albertans right now because it's going to start costing us jobs. It's going. It's starting to cost us our reputation. Like uh, even Quebec is hearing about the premier every day, which is not a good thing. She shouldn't be in the newspaper daily back east. She shouldn't be. A, it should not be a story. Alberta needs to be boring. Alberta is always hardworking. But she, does she truly believe in what she says? Absolutely. Is she being empowered by those individuals and in, you know in the halls? One hundred percent. She's being validated. That's what I makes two, her. I have two things that I want to share here. First of all, um, just looking at the the Twitter machines, the top trending hashtag that just popped up on the screen. Hashtag Danielle Smith is unfit to lead. Literally, as we were as we were having this conversation, that's what just popped up. But here's what I want to say in regards to Danielle Smith's ability to be influenced, especially for people that maybe uh, are close to her. You know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to let her. The BS detector evolved over time. Uh, I tend to be pretty trusting. I'm never going to get tired of that clip. <laughs> it's the second nod, Sarah. I'm never going to get tired of that clip. <laughs> I knew you were going to pull it. I knew it. <laughs> I've saved that one. It lives permanently in the little deck that I have on the side over here. And let me tell you this. In politics, very often... Not all the time, but the people that you think that you trust that has your back are not the people whom you should trust. Oh, don't I know it. Your back. <laughs> to to clarify, uh, there's there's a reason why I put that tweet up on on Monday night because it was brought to my attention that there were rumors circulating that I was considering running again and. Not with a gun to my head would I do that. I'm Boy, trying that to convince exactly. you to run federal. I want you to run it, federal so we can say you lost no. at every single level. Of <laughs> I got, I got to, it's, it's like the Spartan medal, right? Like you have to get all three pieces in order to like complete it. <laughs> Nate for mayor. <laughs> oh, good. So God. you have the feds. You have a school school trustee, and you have the mayor position. That's it. Nope. That's your agenda for the next twelve nope. years. Nope, nope, nope. Although there was a a brief campaign on Monday night to uh, see if we could get enough signatures to get to not Kenny to on the ballot. I don't know what the rules are for that. I would love to have not Kenny run for something, yeah. uh, but I feel like there's probably no. I, I think you need to have a heartbeat. 
Because like remember like, Jet Thunder? Do you remember yes, Jet Thunder that ran for Jet Senate? Thunders for Senate. So you can, yes. So you can do that, but you need to have a heartbeat. Hmm. So I would need a proxy, not Kenny. This could get complicated. How do we... Oh, oh, talking about heartbeats. So everybody remembers how it was super late one night for a show because the hamster ran away. We didn't know where it was. Well, the damn hamster died yesterday. What was his name again? You got changed you a times. Last time was... <laughs> I think last time it was Mango. I, I, it's it's I hard to mourn poor Mango when we don't even know Mango's name. <laughs> it was a it was a tight relationship. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he he passed last night well, or yesterday during the day or I don't know. But poor poor one out for Mango, folks. There will about, be a replacement. Yeah, with, with the other piece for Smith. The mm-hmm. let's talk about the medications for just a second. So she moved the goalposts right off of the field because now we're giving 250,000 bottles to Alberta health services who that was never part of the plan that was at least publicly spoken to. And it appears that we forgot again. I just can't like, we forgot the childproof caps. they're, They're spinning, but they're spinning the wrong way. Like seriously, if there's a problem, just say. Maybe they need to put push down on the cap harder. That's how the childproof caps work. (laughs) They're having problems with the seal. I always have problem with the seal surrounding the cap. I always like break my nails. But no, like you know, yesterday I walked into the pharmacy, saw some toddler Advil. I was like, well, I have acid, you know, paracetamol at home. I'm gonna buy. Ibuprofen because it's good for fever when you're alternating. It really, you know, it's really good. But Jesus Christ, like she couldn't skate more during that press conference about the issues and the hurdles. Of course, you have to have bilingual tag. Of course, they got. Of course, they gotta go and make sure that you know everything's kosher over there. Of course, they got to make sure that, you know, the format and all that is presented is the same because five mils is five mils, right? When you give tempera for an infant, you give 1.75 when they're under 23 months. And anyways, math and all that and dosages when they're over two, you give them five mils anyways. But Lord almighty, can you please tell us the real reason why we're having issues here? Because I, I... They're spinning, but they're not. They messed it up, but you know, at least spin it in a way that is believable, and not tell us that uh, there's a problem for caps for children medicine that tastes good. No, I believe that. I entirely believe that they didn't get the children's caps. Yeah. Uh, but, and yeah. the Health Canada said, no, no, y'all need the children's caps. I entirely believe that. But I wanted to talk about the labeling for a sec as well, because there's a lot of people who have said, hey, you know what? It's Alberta. Nobody speaks French in Alberta. We're good with just English. But here's the problem with that. First of all, it's not exactly not true. There are lots of communities in Alberta that are predominantly it's not true, though. It's not but here's true, the other though. thing. Here's the other thing. She said from the beginning, we're going to sell it 
to the rest of Canada. So if we don't want to get stuck with 5 million bottles of children's medication that we're paying a premium for, if we want to try to recoup any of the money that we're inevitably going to lose on this, we have to be able to unload it to some of the other provinces. And there's no way that other provinces are going to ask to bring. You think Quebec's? We're talking like the two biggest provinces, the two most populous provinces are Quebec and Ontario. You think those two provinces are going to be like, ah, nah, it's cool. Send us the English stuff. <laughs> We're just going to take a bath. On- Quebec, everybody, everybody's going to get up and learns about it. And, you know, Quebec is trying to suppress the English language in Quebec mm-hmm. right now. You know, it's not going super well. But, um, you know, speaking English in Quebec is not a good thing. Um, but no, it's just absolutely ludicrous. Like there's botching a job. I understand the intent that they had behind it, because yes, we were in dire need. But when you're making something so performative that so many weeks later it's not even approved for public consumption yet, we're still having issues. They bought it at a premium. They will sell it to the pharmacy at a lower cost, subsidized cost. So pharmacies can sell it at a reasonable cost and still make a profit on it. Let's remember, pharmacies are businesses. They're not going to sell it to you at cost. There's a lot of issues that are happening in the background. And I have a lot of questions again. Like, when will Health Canada approve it? When will Health Canada approve it? You know, it's one thing to, I feel like the approval for AHS was the consolation prize. I feel like the approval for AHS was they needed to have a certain amount shipped. And they said, well, what if we don't sell these ones? What if we just use them in hospital? Can we get away with that? And the Fed said, okay, we'll give you an exemption for that. That's what that's what I feel like happened. Because well, that's why I say it's the consolation prize because they would have been stuck with probably money up front with zero product six months later down the line. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the approval is going to come out next week. But I feel like there there's much 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 more issues than what we're being told. And at the end of the day. The point of that purchase was to keep the kids out of the hospitals because they couldn't treat parents couldn't treat fevers at home. Jesus Lord Almighty. So if your purpose is say help is on the way, parents, we're here for you. Trudeau bought two million bottles. The supply chain will adjust, but we will buy. 5 million bottles because there's about 4.4 million Albertans. And how many kids? If someone can look up how many kids we have in the province. Um, so why are you still doing it? If the first shipment was a po- is now meant for the hospitals when there's zero, zero shortage. And I can tell you that the main provider of paracetamol and ibuprofen will be upset in the background because they will be losing business and that will be affecting us on the long run. Free market, you. True facts. I think it's funny. I think it's a tragic waste of money, it's, but I think that it's another it's example sad. of, 
Daniel Smith has this thing where she thinks she's the great loophole finder and the great problem solver. She said it publicly many times. I'm not speaking hyperbolically here, but the problem is she never understands the parameters in which she's working under. And so she keeps coming up with these insane solutions that, that don't do anything other than cause more harm. Do they even try to measure the outcomes? Incrementally. Incremental change. (laughs) Everything's incremental change now. You know, when when you write a policy, you have measurable outcomes. In theory. But that 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 ain't it. That's that's not I think. Well, we've even seen like Daniel, she's she's been talking about the the wonderful changes that have happened within healthcare. And we saw multiple news stories this week. The Alberta Professional Firefighters and Paramedics Association came out and said, Alberta is experiencing an EMS crisis and we cannot continue as is for much longer. There's too much at stake. There was a news story that came out of Red Deer where it talked about the fact that uh, there were two patients who were shipped past Red Deer because there was no spaces in the hospital. Yeah, it was not pretty. The Lethbridge Fire Local said over the last few days, we have seen situations where no physical ambulance is available to respond. We have seen our closest ambulance responding from rural communities over 30 minutes away. Our fire trucks respond with advanced care paramedics and in Lethbridge they do and continually bridge this gap for the community at times waiting on scene for an ambulance to arrive for long periods of time. This is not a new issue and has been highlighted over an extremely busy holiday system. The provincial EMS model is broken. This is coming from the Lethbridge Fire Local. But not only that, how many rural emergency departments are closed right now? Because they just can't. There's tons. Oyen Oyen is is closed and the next closest hospital is in Saskatchewan. Now, Oyen's pretty close to the Saskatchewan border. It's true. There's, there's, There's so many of them are closed right now. Like Lethbridge doesn't even have obstetrics. Well, this is the other question. This is the other basic question. We hear Daniel Smith. One of the things that she talked about at the press conference was the fact that they're going to there's 55 operating rooms across the province that just require minor minor retrofits in order to get up and running. Now, this is true, because if you're familiar with the history of the healthcare system, there's the Lougheed era design of hospital, which is most of the rural hospitals uh, that were built around that period. They're all the same sort of floor plan. They all do have operating rooms that were built in there, but these operating rooms are in the same hospitals that are closing because they don't have staff. So if you can't keep a hospital open for the basics, how are you going to find staff to run an operating theater? You can't. So funny story. When I was in Canmore, so I lived in Canmore for a while and I had to have my gallbladder removed. And uh, there's one surgeon in town. His name was Dr. Pachinkoff. And uh, very often the family doctors in town were the anesthesiologists. So you could have your family doctor (laughs) proceeding with the anesthetics for your surgery. Ah. You know, we are so short of resources right now. It's not even funny. And it is to a point where I don't understand why there's no subsidies or a higher investment for spaces in universities for nurses. So we can have more nurses trained on the long term. It's not going to fix it right away. Um, Facilitate transfer license transfers between provinces because I'm the perfect example of, hey, I can't practice here. Sorry. 
um, they wouldn't even touch me during the pandemic because I offered to help. And they were like, no, we can't touch you. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I was even, you know, willing to just be like a help, bathe, clean, you know, just help with, you know, moving patients. And But no, nope, they wouldn't touch me. Um, so we are... <sighs> I really, really, really wish the government would stop being so short-sighted and have a goddamn tunnel vision of what they want to have and try to look at it as a whole. Firing the board did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because the guy, three weeks after he was at the, in the job, he's like, oh, no, everything's fine. Everything's great. Better we're, than we're... could have imagined is the quote. Yeah. It was ex- uh, it was, uh, you know, going beyond all expectations. So what do we do now? How do we deal with this? There's cancer surgeries or not. How are we going to staff the cancer, the brand new spanking cancer hospital in Calgary, Nate? How are we going to staff this? Staff is burned out. There's going to be another wave of COVID. And with uh, the Kraken, I don't expect it to go extremely well. What do we do? We're at a we're at crossroads where ideology needs to be put away and we need to look so when you're governing when you write policies you need to look at what is best for the province not for your pockets or not for your own ideology and get brownie points from your peers you are elected well okay you are uh Sorry, you, you won a She did win a by election, she wasn't yeah, elected, as I, premier, yeah, yeah, but yeah, she yeah, did yeah. win a by election now, so yes, technically, did, but technically, anyways, when you're elected, you need to look after Albertans, you don't need to look after your friends or your ideologies or what you have in your notebook or what you think. You believe is right when you walk around and say, oh, I'm not going to be listening to experts. Like, we need to stop that game because it's going to start hurting Albertans more and more and more from healthcare to education to transition to energy sector. And what we will be seeing now, I'm telling you, if we don't wake up, if we don't start acting like rational, intelligent, policymakers and you know individuals engaged in their communities to try to get out the vote and elect representatives that will be working for all burdens i'm telling you i'm worried that in 30 years we're going to be turning to detroit i mean there's there's a there's an amazing twitter account called at yyc cowboy and he this individual i i shouldn't I think it's a he, but I should make assumptions like that. This individual has been, uh, there's somebody who has access to some pretty insidery information, and they've been tweeting out nightly threads. I want to read tonight's uh, just as sort of a, a happy thought. He said, that's the sarcasm. Yeah. Um, as reported last night, Oyen's Big County Hospital, Big Country Hospital will see nightly ER closures 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and a full acute care closure starting January 16th. Closest ERs during the downtime is Kinsersley in Saskatchewan. 100 kilometers away, Hannah, 113 kilometers, leader in Saskatchewan, Coronation, Provost, 
Cold Lake Hospital has no anesthesia staff on site, which means no surgery or obstetrical services requiring epidurals or C-sections. Uh, Good luck is showing the epidural. You're not going to get one. Stetler is showing an obstetrical service closure from January 6th to 9th on the dashboard with no updates. And St. Paul is showing no obstetrical services until 7 p.m. January 12th. Surgery unavailable January 7th and 8th. Barhead continues to see no surgical or obstetrical services required epidurals or C-sections available. Shutdown started at 3 p.m. today and goes until 7 a.m. January 18th. Further shutdowns January 19th to 21st, January 23rd to 25th, and January 26th to 31st. I'm still not Done. Rimby, Westlock, Three Hills, Sundry continue to see the full closure of all obstetrical services with expectant moms being deserted, diverted to other hospitals. Nightly ER closures continue in Grimshaw, Towfield, Daysland, Swan Hills, Boyle. Uh, full ER closures continue in Hardesty and Consort. Port McMurray Regional Lights Hospital is still showing a closure of its surgical department. Um, I mean, the thread goes on. But... so. This Let is rural Alberta that's suffering. That's what I was going to say. Hey, rural, do you feel like you're being heard and respected? And that the government is really trying to fix it? Maybe they're trying to fix it, but I do not know what the hell they're doing when mothers, and trust me, oh, I know you know, I made it to seven centimeters, then called for an epidural, and I had my epidural within 15 minutes. Like, I had the privilege of getting that service because I was in a, at Foothills Hospital. If I would have been in Canmore, if I would have been in Slave Lake, if I would have been anywhere in the province, I probably would have not gotten it and being told to suck it up. How is this? And let's note here, when obstetrics are being shut down, when surgeries are being shut down, when anesthesiology is being shut down, very often when an, when surgery cases and anesthesiology is involved in rural, it's for C-sections. It's for women that are giving birth. So women are being penalized right now and they are paying the high price. And poor Robbie that lives in Wetaskiwin that might have a heart attack and needs to be rushed somewhere else than his hospital because they don't have the staff or resources to treat him right away, or they can't put a cap, a stent, or a balloon. What the hell are you supposed to do? We're going to be spending more money on transportation. Are we going to have to call a Uber? Stars cost a fortune. Highway 2 right now is dangerous as hell to drive on. It's so foggy, it's not even funny. Are we measuring the outcomes and calculating the risks or we're just like, no, we're going to go ahead with reform. Don't care about the Fed's money because we don't want to be accountable. And we're just going to ramp through it. Is this okay? No, no, it's not. Because the one that will be suffering will be the ones that will be um, not in means to get to another place. Will not have the means to have an obstetric appointment in Calgary and or Edmonton and drive six hours to have proper resources or is it going to be like planned birth because we got to drive eight hours to make sure we have a safe birth i don't even know what the midwife situation is but when i was pregnant i had to book my midwife like the day after i found out i was pregnant because there was none around so why are we doing this for the sake of ideology and little pat on the back and be like that's okay. We convince everybody to do it. 
what are they doing? It's not okay. This is, this is, and no, I'm not a communist. I'm not a goddamn. I'm not. It costs more money doing the way they're doing it than trying to fix the real issues. We are burning money through our own goddamn pockets with a lighter right next to it because for the sake of ideology, give me a fucking break for a minute. It's exhausting. Like, fuck, I'm being called a communist, a socialist. No, I'm a right-leaning centrist, a.k.a. a small-c conservative. And I don't think it's okay to do that to a province. When we're prosperous, when we have money, those billions should be sent into healthcare, they should be sent to the poor, and they, they should be sent in education so we can look and take care of the future of our province. And right now, we're just pissing it away with stupid rebates that we're going to have to pay back, stupid paracetamol that we don't know when it's going to show up, and goddamn and healthcare reform is going to end up into a seed show. Sorry. There I'm we done. go. That's the rant. Feel better? I'm feeling sweary. I noticed. Sorry, Edmonton. What are we looking for this week, Sarah Biggs? Coming up to the end of the, the program I, here. What are, what are, are we going to get caved, another surprise I, press conference? Oh, of course we will, but I caved in. I don't know what that is. It's Prince Harry book. Spare. I caved in. I was curious. Okay. Uh, what are we going to see this week? I'm hoping. What, what day is it today? Wednesday? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Uh, we got two days before the be Daniel more Smith tree. radio show. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, I'm hoping nothing bad is going to happen. That's for sure. Uh, I don't know what I'm looking for this week. They're kind of in caretaking mode right now. What kind of work in the background? It's kind of weird. It's like we're rolling to election season. So budget's going to be presented in less than a month, February 7th. So right now, do you always notice how it's funny how budget consultations always happen less than a month before a budget is being presented and it's probably all written and set in stone? Oh, totally. Quite interesting. It's totally performative, by the way. Uh, no, sometimes not, but, you know, I'm hoping the opposition will be picking up soon because uh, they need to wakey-wakey a little bit. Um, there's a lot of bad things happening right now. Um, I'm hoping that some uh, advisors will start seeing the light and try to stop peddling stupid talking points. I hope that we're going to be able to hold the government to account in regards to the transition. We have known that the transition, how long have we been talking about transition and environment and targets, Nate? The first carbon tax was brought on by Stephen Harper in 2009. Anyone, anyone remembers the Kyoto Agreement? Oh, that was interesting. You know, we knew it was going to happen. It's like when you're not, I don't know, filling up your tank of gas and you're on the highway too and you're like, oh no, I ran out of gas. Oh no, what are we going to do? And you knew when it was coming. Like Maddie would say, oh no, oh no. But can we just be smart and be prepared for once? That's what I want. 
I want to see real actions from the government, not some performative smoke and mirrors bullcrap that is so... <clears throat> Where are the moderates in this caucus? I want to know. But I'm also hearing that the, the COVID uh, counseling committee, or whatever you want to call it, advisory, apparently has not received caucus approval. And usually when... When that happens, is that there's problems within caucus. Well, I, you know, we, we, we heard a couple of, of little birdies tell us earlier today that uh, the, the message was given to caucus that, uh, you know what, we've picked our people and you'll like it. And apparently the division between rural caucus and urban caucus is as stark as it's ever been. And it's it's getting pretty, pretty spicy. Some of the names that are being bandied about, boy, I hope they aren't accurate because yikes on bikes if they are. I don't even want to. I don't even I'm, want to. I'm not saying them. I'm gonna get I'm another not, email. I'm, I'm gonna I'm get not, another email, and I, I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning, take a screenshot, and send you a text, and be like, "What the fuck is this?" But no, seriously, um, you know, I think we're gonna see more and more division. Uh, you know, Sonia Savage is someone who's fairly reasonable. And right now she's being put on script and be like, you're just going to put up with it and you're going to push it because Sonia Savage was not like that three, four years ago. And it's disheartening. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the progressive in caucus will start being loud and stand up because this ain't conservatism, folks. This is barely a functioning government. It's not because it's certainly not any traditional definition definition of conservatism in Alberta. It's certainly not. No. Uh, I don't even know if you can call it populism because it represents such a small fringe minority of, of views. But I don't know, man. But, you know, you know, those people are special. You know what the good news is, though? This is this is the plug part of the show. The good news is the newest episode that we have. Has dropped for our patrons. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Oh. It is, it is so good. Uh, uh, we've already had quite a bit of feedback from uh, a few of our Patreon folks. We posted it at dinner time. Already, a few people have watched it and are saying wonderful things. It's a conversation with Lydia Green, who is one of the founders of an organization called Back to the Vax. And this thing is, you know, there's, there's, there's certain conversations that we've had on the show that just stand out as like i'm so glad that that i got to have that conversation with that person that was an absolute privilege this is definitely one of them um because lydia's story about how she uh fell down the rabbit hole of the the anti-vax hyper wellness movement how far she ended up down that rabbit hole and how she got out of it to now be in a place where she's uh, not only pursuing a career in healthcare, but she's doing advocacy work to make sure that uh, more people have access to the information presented in an important way. And I would actually really encourage if there's anybody who's uh, a healthcare worker who's in our audience, um, pay attention to this one. It's going to go public on Friday. And there's some really important messages that Lydia shares for, for healthcare workers in it. Um, I would I would strongly, strongly encourage you to, to to take a listen to it because there's some things that I think healthcare workers can be doing better to decrease the the priming of people who fall down these these rabbit holes. Um, so again, that's oh, can available. Can I just add some? 
Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. No. So I just wanted to say, you know, when COVID hit, uh, two things. When COVID hit, when I, I found out I was pregnant like two days before COVID hit. And then I, I, I found out I was pregnant. I texted my husband's cousin that was doing some research on COVID in BC. He's a PhD student. And I was like, so, yo, how dangerous is that thing? He was like, stay home. And I was like, okay. So what I did, I limited my Twitter for like five to 10 minutes a day. Now it's back to normal. But for my own sanity, because I could have fallen into a rabbit hole real quick, I had to limit my social media consumption because I was getting freaked out and I was worried because I was pregnant and I didn't know what was going to happen. So, you know, it's it's possible to get out that hole. You just need to, uh, you know, not I was falling down that rabbit hole, but I can see how easy it is. To fall. Yeah. Oh, and well, can we just say that the Western Standard owes us money because they stole my line? They did steal your line. The Justin transition, they they stole that. The Steelers, but you know what? Here's the thing. There's a little bit that I just want to say. A very special. Um, what's the? Do you do you have the jar, Sarah? What's that? Do you have the jar? Do you have the swear jar? Uh, all I have is a bottle of that. There's some folks at the Western Standard who should probably. Go fuck themselves. And I say that sincerely because the way that they treated the journalist out of Edmonton this week was an embarrassment. That was fucking disgusting. They leaned into that bullshit narrative so irresponsibly. And that poor journalist who was experiencing a medical crisis. She had to lock her social media because they were part of an effort that tried to make it sound like it was in some way vaccine related. It was irresponsible. It was ugly. It was gross. It was an embarrassment. And the fact that there are people who are involved with the Western Standard who have in the past been involved with legitimate legacy media that would allow themselves to sink to that level. And the grossest part, this was the, the, if you have any doubts what the motivations were for why they did that, when they finally printed the truth and the statement from it was the behind a paywall, they put it behind a paywall. So they kept the bullshit available to the Free. public. They didn't change the original story. <laughs> and they put the truth they didn't... behind a paywall. No, they were, well, it was like, well, that's what she said. Like, seriously? Like, when I saw her, I thought she was having a seizure. That was my first reaction. I don't know what your first reaction was, Nate. I don't that want to was... quarterback it. But, no, but, you know, she, you know she... I... I'll say this. There is a line that uh, we were in, in the conversation with, with Lydia Green. There's a line that was disturbingly prescient. Uh, because we were yeah. talking about the, the football player and how quickly uh, people jumped on oh that my one. God. And the the joke apparently is um, anti-vaxxers are faster to a corpse than below flies. The Western Standard hit that bar themselves this week. So very special shout out to those guys for being, I don't know, gross and deplorable. 
They might write an article about us tomorrow. <laughs> Good. Call if me, you do, guys. You got you my number. Quote me. That was an embarrassment. There's my official quote. You can even use. The oh, video. my husband just sent me a text, and he said not only research about COVID, but he was in the pressurized biohazard suit. There we go. Um, okay. got a couple other episodes Bad coming up. We're excited. Yeah. About. We're going to yes. do a whole conversation with ZFSL about the mask situation and how there are apparently masks still in circulation that aren't approved to be masks in circulation. So that's fun. Um, we're going to be we're going to be doing that, uh, dropping that next week. Uh, got a couple other things coming in the pipes as well that we're excited about. Um, going to be back here on Sunday for our regular Sunday live stream program. If you're bored, I should be home by then. And you want to see a slightly more irreverent. Uh, version of me. I, I had the privilege of appearing on the Dean Blundell show this afternoon and had some fun with uh, Dean and Locke and uh, things got definitely a, a little spicy. Uh, so, but we had a really good conversation and it was, it was, it was, we talked a lot about sort of why, why it is so very evil that there are people cough, Danielle Smith cough who mislead people for their own advantage and take advantage of people's own ignorance cough western standard cough i don't know why i just coughed the western standard it was totally unrelated to my previous statement um it was a hairball yeah probably um but yeah if you appreciate the kind of content that we're producing here at the breakdown we'd love nothing more than if you uh signed up to be one of our patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash the breakdown ab where for the price of just a cup of coffee a month you can help us continue to produce the kind of content that we do if you can't afford it totally get it the likes and the shares and the occasional uh, review on the podcasts. Uh, don't go into the Facebook comments unless you're really ready for it because the boy they found us this week, Sarah Biggs, uh, it has been a, a nonstop. But here's what I want to say about that. Cause I've spent a little bit of time previewing the, the Facebook comments because the notifications come up and I'm, you've been telling me not to go in there. I have been because you get angry, but here's the fascinating thing. The number of people who aren't even from Alberta, they don't live in Alberta. They're like from BC. They're from Ontario. There's like people from Nova Scotia. There's people from Spain who are like, Daniel Smith's the greatest. And it's like, you live in Spain. I don't understand it. So as, as discouraging <laughs> As some of the, the comments might seem, they're just really wildly entertaining because uh, I don't know why somebody from Spain is like, oh, Daniel Smith, I wish he was my premier. You live in Spain. Don't tell me about Alberta politics. And you how don't great even Daniel have Smith the same political system. If, if you live in Spain. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with living in Spain. I just don't think that you should be like, hey, I'm going to pump Daniel Smith's tires from Spain. Is all I'm saying. Anything else to add before we shut it down, Sarah Biggs? Be good this week, people. Be good. It's hard times, and let's just, I don't know, just fuck it. Like, seriously. I'm so, it's exhausting. Like, everything is so tiring. It's a very exhausting fight. But it's okay. I'll be banned from lobbying for the next few years, but that's fine. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, be kind, take care of each other. Uh, be kind. Be 
be have nice. some have some good the weather's supposed to be nice if you're not in edmonton i'm told so uh oh my god i we too today stay home seriously like you could cut through the fog with a knife it was terrible i'm gonna go to bed because i have meetings early tomorrow morning yeah and i'm thank you so so much Thank you so much again, Sarah Biggs. Thank you to everybody who was at, we had an active chat tonight. It was really great to see. Uh, thank you everybody for throwing your comments in there. Sarah's going to go read the comments right now. Uh, thank you to everybody who was listening along on the Twitter spaces. We got to, I finally get the system set up so that we can have people commenting on the Twitter spaces and nobody's raising their hand anymore. Everybody's just doing the comments on the, tw- the, the YouTube and the Facebook Sunday. I like it. Somebody, I like it. We're going to, I want to open, I want to open mic it. Uh, a little bit more. So I'm going to say if anybody's listening to the podcast version of this, or if you're watching the, the thing on Sunday, if you got some thoughts, bring them to the Twitter spaces. It's going to be fun. I know a lot of people leave in Twitter. There's, Lord, there's a lot of people leaving Twitter. Lord Fluffington but, will be back on Sunday. There we go. As always, thank you so much, everybody. Have a great night. Take care of yourselves. Keep the conversation going. Thank you.